welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Where in the Folk. Wow. I am Reed. This is the sexy Cecil netting sitting next to me. And our guest today is Mr. Scott Baker. Scott, where in the folk are you at? At the moment, I live in rural New Hampshire, about 20 minutes outside of Concord, New Hampshire. I'm renting a lovely place out in the forest. Every night when I go out to write, I get all sorts of critters come by, skunks, possum, porcupines. My dog, Bella, screws around with every one of them. She's got more vet visits than all the other pets combined. Uh, but I love it out here. I lived in or near big cities all my life. So, you know, being able to sit outside at night and hear nothing but crickets, coyotes, and owls is fantastic. It is. It is great. I, I lived in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina myself for a while. And when I moved back to uh, Kentucky, it was just like breath of fresh air. So I know what you mean. So, Scott, if everybody's not familiar with you, I know you have a lot of stuff going on. You're one, you're one of the members of one of my favorite podcasts. I tune in about every week. You guys party till 11. <laughs> Watching weird. And so yes. I'm podcasts and what else you got going on? I know you write tons of books. You just had one come out too, didn't you? Yeah. Um, I'm a horror author predominantly. <clears throat> I've been writing. I've been writing forever. I've been published since 2009. I've got over 20 books. I got about 25 books uh, and anthologies out plus probably half a dozen other anthologies. I have stories in mostly vampires, most, uh, mostly vampires, zombies. The book that just came out uh, about two weeks ago was a new zombie series, The Chronicles of Paul, uh, a Nurse Alyssa spinoff. Nurse Alyssa is my first zombie series. And it's about a young woman, just a regular average nurse. She was not special forces, wasn't in the military, not a prepper. And one night at the ER in Mass General Hospital, the dead start dropping dead and coming back to life. And she's at the middle of ground zero of a Mongolian CF. So that, that series follows her escaping Boston, making it up to her cabin in New Hampshire and surviving up there. The new book is much more got a dead rising feeling, but I just wanted to start ramping it up. And Paul, her ex-husband, gets caught in Pittsburgh He's, he's a prepper. He's nowhere near his cabin in New Hampshire. So he meets up with a group of people and they're just going to fight their way across the country, killing as many zombies and as, in as many weird ways as possible. So are the zombies in your books, are they fast or are they slow? They begin fast. Uh, and then but, lose mobility. Right. The minute they turn, they're fast. Like, okay. World War Z, um, um, 28 days later, the the longer they are zombies, the slower they get. That's the way I like it right there because yeah. it makes the most sense. Like if there was some kind of disease or something that brought dead back to life immediately, they would still be limber. But as they decay, right. they I agree. I think down. that's the that's the natural way that it should go. That's a sweet point right there. Yeah. <laughs> and that way I get to put in both like, group of fast zombies and hordes of slow dead zombies mm. i like that yeah. i like that what got you so fascinated with the zombie 
like? Uh, I actually started with vampires. And it's a funny story. Well, I, you know, I was in the CIA for 23 years. Mm-hmm. And I had written a couple of novels. Uh, the first two sucked. They are so bad, I don't even let my wife read them. <laughs> but I, I wrote this really good novel. So North Korea uh, develops five nuclear weapons. They test one in Korea. And then they announced to the United States that there are four more hidden in the United States. You've got a week to pull out of South Korea and let us take over the peninsula, or we're taking, we're going to send them off in the country. I got an agent. The agent loved it. I had it sitting with a, I don't know the name because the agent didn't tell me, but I had it sitting with a New York publisher and then 9-11 hit. Mm. And the market for that type of book dried up overnight. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I spent the next two years running around the Middle East in Iraq. And I went to see uh, Van Helsing with Hugh, uh, Hugh Jackman. I went to see that movie and I was with a friend of mine. And as we walked out, she goes, what do you think of it? I said, it's a good movie, but I could write better than that. She goes, well, why don't you? Nice. So that started the writing career. So um, I don't know what I always wanted to write zombies. I love zombies. Um, there's just there's just like a frustration release out of it. Every <laughs> other creature, a werewolf. Well, he's human most of the time. You're, you're killing the demon. You're killing the human being. Vampires can be good or bad. There's nothing nice about a zombie. You can do whatever you want to them. You could drop them in acid, set them on fire, you know, blow them up with artillery. No one's going to go, I'm offended by that. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so, oh, no. I don't know. And, we live in a time and age where that might be the next thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I've always thought of doing a story where there's zombie, uh, where there's like zombie rights advocates. <laughs> <laughs> be like that uh, one little girl on. Uh, the Walking Dead that yeah. wanted to keep one as a pet. They're, they're oh yes, right there. Two, you know, two, four, six, eight. Let them reanimate. You know, <laughs> stupid, <laughs> stuff. stupid no. stuff like that. And I, my first zombie trilogy um, was Rotter World and the two sequels, and it was about humans and vampires trying to survive a zombie apocalypse. Um, and then after that, I just started developing more ideas. Um, some of them were ridiculous. I got one novella out there, uh, Nazi Ghouls from Space. Nice. And it sounds as stupid as it is. The Well, that's where they're still at. Is on yeah. the- <laughs> at the end of World War II, Nazi Germany sends three, rock- three astronauts up on a rocket. They get stuck up there for two years and crash in this place called, I don't know if you've heard of it, Roswell, New Mexico, yeah. in 1947. <laughs> I mean, that's logical. That's probably what actually happened. <laughs> and so, then my, do- my stepdaughter inspired, this is why we can't have nice things during the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> it's the diary of a 16-year-old girl having to deal with her brother, her sister, and her father during a zombie outbreak. Wow. (laughs) So going back to vampires, what is your favorite vampire movie? 30 Days of Night. I like that. Oh, sorry, 40 Days of Night. Yeah, that is a good one. 
I love that one. Those vampires were just, they were just evil. My favorite scene in the movie is when the young girl is pleading for her life and she goes, oh God, help me. And the head vampire goes, what? And then they, yep. they rip her off. Yep, yep. And that movie. I do cool. not like sparkling vampires. No. I do not like vampires that sit there in, in puffy shirts looking like Seinfeld, <laughs> running their fingers through flames. Oh, I beat people. <laughs> and uh, 40 Days of Night had a little eye candy in it, too. It had Josh Hartnett in it. <laughs> <laughs> you were going to go there. <laughs> oh gosh if you don't like josh hartnett you can kiss my ass <laughs> <laughs> and i think that was the the second movie to have a little girl vampire in it, it could have been because what would the first one been the interview with a vampire the interview with a vampire but i never saw an interview with a vampire i just doesn't appeal to me but the scene when she attacks them in 30 days a night and they use the axe to hack on a pot. That was just like, oh, that, was brutal. that was good. Yeah, the interview with a vampire is, that's a chick flick. No, yeah. like if it. you ask me. I like yeah. it. I mean, you can't beat the cast. Tom Cruise and his youth. Brad Pitt. I just like the fact that at the uh, closing scene, they used Guns N' Roses uh, <laughs> for the devil. That was my favorite part. So, Scott, you've alluded to being in the CIA. What, what drove you to that? Well, I, I studied history and politics in high school and college. Uh, originally, I was going, wanted to be a teacher up in Mass, down in Massachusetts, but, you know, I was selfish. I wanted things like food, clothing, shelter. <laughs> so I decided I had to get another career. And I applied, for the, I applied for several positions, State Department, didn't get it, Defense Intelligence Agency, they never heard back. And I actually applied three times to the CIA. And the first time I got up to the interview process in Washington, and then I was denied. Second time, I made it through the first exam. And then the third time, I just said, oh, what the hell? I'm not going to get it anyway. So I wrote them a letter saying, you know, you guys need me. I know what I'm doing. I'm good. I'm dedicated. I'm patriotic. You'd be a fool not to hire me. A year later, I was on board at the CIA. Jesus. So how many alien craft and things have you hid? <laughs> I have not hid any of them. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. So <laughs> we had everybody who comes in. We have a, a program in which some, we have summer only people come in. They're college students. They're usually the relative of a CIA employee and they come in as an internship program and i had a friend of mine now this was back in the 80s when the computers were those massive name frames that you had to put into like gigantic freezers in the basement and somebody had written alien cryogenic chamber and attached <laughs> it to the front door and all summer this kid kept on bugging my friend i gotta see the aliens i gotta see the aliens he kept on telling me, Shh, get us killed get us killed so the last day, he said, I'll show you something. You've got to promise to be quiet. And he took him through this, right? He took him down into the basement, through the janitor's closet, through the loading docks, and showed him the alien isolation chamber. And my God, this kid was so dumb. <laughs> Still to this day, he doesn't know he was looking at the computer. 
<laughs> wow. All right. So follow-up question on this. This is a two-parter. So what is your favorite CIA-based movie or series, and which one you think is the most realistic? My favorite is the, the two red movies. Retired, Extremely Dangerous. That's porn for intelligence officers. That's what we all think we are. We all think we're a Helen Mirum, a John Malkovich, or that. Um, let's see. I think a really good movie, realistic movies would be, and they're not exciting movies, but if you wanted to get a feel for what it's like, um, Russia House, which was an old 1990s movie with Sean Connery and I think Michelle Pfeiffer. And... I think it's the recruiter oh, yeah. that came out without Pacino in the early 2000s. Those are, and that one is actually based on an internal espionage case. But those are very realistic. Those give you an idea what it's like. But, you know, we watch them and go, eh, what we really love is Red, um, Jack Reacher movies. Right. I tell my wife every now and then that, you know, to me, I see more realism in Get Smart and American Dad than I do in a lot of the other movies. <laughs> one, of, one of the lines in The Recruit that I always, I, I always remember this line is when uh, Pacino says to Colin Farrell, he says, like, why did you pick me? And he goes, because you're agile. <laughs> <laughs> oh, another good movie. Really good, except for the ending. The ending is very dramatic, is Agos. The one where they try to get out the Iranian hostages. Yeah. Now, that one I've heard, there's a lot of, uh, it's a good movie, but it's got a lot of inconsistencies on what really happened. Uh, it's pretty accurate up until the airport scene. And what really happened is they got on the plane, they flew out, landed in Canada, and then they returned to the States. But, yeah. you know, you can't have that in a movie. So that whole last part of the movie was made up. My favorite line of that was when, um, oh, the guy who played Breaking Bad, I can't think of his name, the actor. Oh, Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston. He, you know, the, the officer says to him, nobody's ever going to know what we did. And Cranston said to him, which is so true, if you wanted fame, you should have joined the service. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Going back to the agency, this is an alien's another funny story. My cousin is a huge conspiracy theorist. He believes Roswell was an alien crash, got all the technology. And for 23 years, every time I'd get together with him, we'd go out driving, he'd turn up the radio in his car and beg me to tell him the truth. And I always told him, Robert, I don't know anything. I can't tell you anything. Well, about 10 years ago, we were at a Christmas party and him and his friend were arguing about how the moon landings were fake. Yeah, that we didn't do, and they're citing all the evidence. And after like 30 minutes, I pretended to get mad at them and said, You two have no clue what you're talking about. <laughs> I said, We made it to the moon, it was part of the deal. We gave them asylum, they gave us technology. It's why we did it. And the Russians, and the Japanese, and the Chinese, and no one else could do it. I stormed out of the room. And about two minutes later, his wife comes in, she, she was such an asshole. That's all they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Who started this shit? 
Now, I know you're probably a rational thinker, but what do you think actually is on the moon? I think we went to the moon. Uh, and I think we did it. I think we did it partly to show that we could beat the Russians to the moon. <clears throat> but I did ballistic missile technology and nuclear weapons technology 10 years in Langley. And one thing I learned is the difference between a space rocket and a ballistic missile is what you put on the cone. Mm. If you put three guys in a lunar module, it's a space, it's a uh, space missile. If you put a, a nuclear warhead, it's a ballistic missile. And I think that was part of it is to build up that, to do it, to have the pride to be able to say we did it first, but also I think it really helped our ballistic missile program. Yeah, because I mean, if we did do it, if, <laughs> yeah. and they seen us put a rocket that far out, they'd be like, oh shit, they can hit anywhere. Yeah. That makes sense, actually. That's the most logical thing I've ever heard about us Ooh. actually going to the moon. <laughs> Have you ever had conversations with flat earthers? No. Oh my God. No. We See, I, <laughs> I disagree with the flat earth theory for one reason. If the earth was flat, cats would have pushed everything off of it. By now. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best argument I've ever heard. In my life. <laughs> Do you think there's anything into the hollow earth theory? No. No, I mean, it's a great theory, you know, for movies. I mean, if you've seen um, Eye in Sky 2, which deals with uh, the Nazis at the center of the earth. Have you ever seen the movie? Yeah, I have. Yeah, with uh, Adolf Hitler as a reptilian riding a T-Rex named Blondie. <laughs> and there's another really crappy movie, Nazis at the center of the earth, where Hitler is like an android. He's got Hitler's head in a glass jar on a mechanical body. I don't buy it. I I don't believe it. I am not a huge. Let me see. I'm open minded to everything, yeah. but I'm not a huge conspiracy theorist. I don't buy into there's Nazis under the Antarctic that um, uh, Admiral Byrd. Expedition down there was to destroy the last of the Third Reich. Um, you know, even though I got a book coming out dealing with Nazi spacecraft and time travel, I don't believe in the Glocka, the Hanabuth, to uh, all of that stuff. It's it so, makes for great fiction. I studied history and political science in college. Uh, mm -hmm. Got a degree in both, and. That's the one thing about World War II that conspiracy that I have is whatever happened to Hitler's body. That's the one thing that I always, I am torn on that. You know, um, I don't doubt that he's dead, that he killed mm -hmm. himself, but I never understood why the Russians did not, you know, there's a, there's the theory that the Russians took the body you know, distributed the pieces of his body all over the place, or they still have the body uh, and all that stuff. That is one thing that has always intrigued me on. I know what, what is the truth about that. I know what happened. Uh, enlighten us, please. He got on a submarine and went to the Antarctic to, and yes. then back up to Argentina. Yeah. And then he killed himself when he's like 80. Not him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That's like Bob Bears hunting Hitler. <laughs> on uh the history channel oh my god that man drove me nuts 
he was so narcissistic. If you ever read his book, it's like he won the war in Afghanistan by himself and the rest of the government was helping him. <laughs> I think what happened was the Soviets came, they found the body, the corpses were fairly burnt. They took them, I believe the current theory that they buried them at the uh, NKVD, which later became the KGB headquarters in, outside of East Berlin. I've got a friend of mine and myself who do a lot of research on Nazi locations, German-related scientific sites, and we discovered that there's a document that came out in the 90s that actually, that when the East Germans, that when the Soviets left East Germany, they took the bodies or what was left of them. I think the only parts they kept were like one of the skulls, the right. bridge work, and the, the skull turned out to be female, uh, which might've been Ava Brown's. I don't know if they ever did the DNA test on it, but there's a location where they pinpoint uh, like right near a river on the way to the Soviet Union where the bodies were supposedly buried. Huh. And, you know, I, I think it was, probably a good idea to remain a mystery on where the body was buried because oh, yeah. you wouldn't want to have these, uh, you know, Nazis that were hanging on and neo-Nazis, you know, to have a shrine to that person. Exactly. Well, I mean, that happened. Every one of the, uh, every one of the guilty that was executed at Nuremberg, their bodies were burnt and spread in a river and nobody said which river. Heinrich Himmler, um, after he committed suicide, they burnt the they uh, burnt him and buried the ashes on the roadside. Reinhard Heydrich, after he was assassinated, he was buried with military honors at the cemetery in Berlin. You can't find the plot today; it's completely erased, as right. well as a lot of others in that area. So. Went the way of the half. Have you? I don't know if you're you're into <laughs> World War II history a lot, but. Have you ever read the book, uh, the devil's disciples? And it's about all the lieutenants of Hitler. Uh, no, I haven't read that book, but I do. I'm a huge world war two buff. It is a extended read. It's almost, I want to say it's 980 pages, but wow. I, I, it was so interesting. I just absolutely plowed through that book. It's if you want to, the next one you try, it's that would be one to look at. What always fascinated me about Nazi history, because I was also a student of communist history, China, North Korea, um, Soviet Union, almost everyone who followed communism were thugs. They, they were against the system. They were outside it. They overthrew. Yeah, some of the big elites like Lenin were intellectuals. But it was usually thugs that overthrew it and ran it. Nazi Germany was so different because Hitler was backed by the elite. He was backed by the industrialists. He was backed by the political elite that put him into power. You know, so many of his supporters, yes, there was the SA, there was the thugs, the racists, but there was people like Albert Speer. Yeah. You know, a bourgeois who became just dedicated and devoted to this man. That's scary yeah. that, you know, somebody can have that type of charisma to be able to turn an entire nation 
from you know peaceful, prosperous, technologically advanced to one of the biggest killers in history. Yeah, history. and with I mean that's like with uh, Stalin. I mean he was what sent to Siberia like five or six times. You know, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he he was he was definitely a thug. Say what you will about Hitler, but he could he could paint pretty good. I like, <laughs> <laughs> I like to have one of these things. My daughter, my daughter is a is an artist, and she was thinking of applying to art school, and she decided not to. I said, "You sure about that?" She says, "Well, she said Hitler didn't get to art school. He did okay." <laughs> oh, oh my god! It's like okay, it's time to let your mother stop right. raising you. <laughs> she ain't wrong. <laughs> Now, the, the book that I've got coming out on December 10th is heavily influenced by World War II history and by the conspiracy theories. It's called Operation Majestic, and I describe it as Raiders of the Lost Ark meets Back to the Future with Aliens. Nice. Whoa. And what I do is I take historical facts. Hans Kamla, who was the head of the SS's scientific division, and all the Brill Diamond, Maria Orsic and the others who supposedly telepathically communicated with aliens, all disappeared in May 1945. And what I do is I set up a scenario where the aliens give the Germans the technology to go back in time to ancient Egypt, collect nuclear weapons, and win World War II. So another alien race comes to the Americans and says, eh, we don't like that. And they give the, us the technology to go back and stop the Germans in ancient Egypt. That makes sense. Yeah. Do you believe in like ancient weaponry like that? Like, do you think that there might have been something like that? You don't think? No, I, my wife is, I watch it too, but my wife believes in it. I laugh at it is uh, ancient aliens. Oh yeah. I, I don't buy all that stuff. I can't find it a little bit like demeaning. You mean like the Egyptians were so stupid, the Mayans were so stupid that you know they needed tech, they needed aliens to build the stuff for them. That's true, but I mean the whole moving the stones and everything. Everybody puts it off on. They used to put it off on slave work, and now they're saying that they were hired hands. It might be. Uh -huh. They used to think that the pyramids were built by slaves, and it turned out that they were artisans. Yeah. So, and, there, and of course that guy in florida he built the coral garden or whatever by himself there's some things that just kind of defy reality do you think that's a situation where people just figure it out on how to do it or do i you think so i mean you know, i think there's a lot of i did a lot of research into how the pyramids were built and there's like this one archaeologist who came out i think it was about 10 years ago who showed that there were a series of ramps built inside the pyramid. Mm. And that's how they, rather than like trying to lift them up the side or that long, long ramp, they just circled them up to the top, put them into place, brought up the next one. Well, and you got to think of it in these terms. You I mean, think about from 1900 to now, yeah. how, you know, in the grander scheme of things, yeah, it may, you may think, well, like in the 50s, computers were gigantic, but look at them now. Yeah, and, it's, and, you know, they could have technology breakthroughs at that time. It's just that 
but that, that's what's so strange is like how did that technology get lost you know that's something i've never understood about it it's kind of like a lack of writing i guess it's kind of like if one day i went into the bathroom to take a piss i'm like i forgot how to do this <laughs> <laughs> when you get to my age you will so. yeah. <laughs> i mean i guess it's possible well um we had something interesting come through right before i got off work there is a second moon now what yeah i saw that comment what's in line have, you, have on either that? one of you heard about this no i haven't apparently they have found a second moon in our atmosphere that they said will be around for at least 300 years like how large i don't know yeah. I, haven't, I, haven't, I haven't had time to look into it. i was hoping one of you had <laughs> oh, I had. <laughs> now i'm gonna have to spend the rest of my night looking into that but it, it's, it's apparently on news stations and everything but they've apparently known about it since 2016 how much of this climate change do you think might be based on a second moon mm. well there could be a lot could be because i mean never the- thought of that that's something interesting I always viewed climate change as we've always had. You know, we had an ice age, you know, I don't think the dinosaurs were big carbon emitters. I I might be wrong on it. We talked about it on the last episode that came out the week before last, um, where they're putting fart bags on cows now. I wonder if anybody put fart bags on dinosaurs. (laughs) I doubt that. (laughs) So now I'm going to go to bed thinking about how bad is a dinosaur? <laughs> yeah. Scott, you may ah, have... T-Rex. You Your to... ashtray looks like George Romero's head. This one? Yeah. <laughs> I like that ashtray. It's my favorite. Uh, <laughs> I gave Ray, Reed the we, Yeah, we've buddy. got a signed ashtray. Oh. <laughs> My wife only lets me smoke cigars outside. What I use is like an old plastic container. I drop them in there. I used to, I used to dip, and that's the, the plastic containers is why I quit doing that. Is because every now and again you just reach over and tilt it up. Yeah. Oh yes, that's a yes. that's a rough experience there. <laughs> this is horrible. Well, how many times did you spit out the window and it wasn't open? Oh, a bunch, <laughs> bunch. I always thought my dad had a two-tone two-tone truck because uh, he used to chew tobacco and he would spit out the window and oh. this side would be brown and this side blue. Like, Dad, get a spit cup or something. Yeah. So Scott's actually been some. I don't know if you travel a lot. It seems like you do, but there's. I used to, not as much lately, but yeah. There was one place he went that made me extremely jealous. And it's the scenes from, what was it? Not Night of the Living Dead. It's Day of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead. Uh, how did that feel, like, just being there? It was it was awesome. Um, I always wanted to do it. I was down at the Scares the Care Convention in uh, Williamsburg, Virginia, this summer. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to drive home 36 hours, I might as well take a few extra days. So I went up to Pennsylvania, and I'm a huge Ramiro fan. I love Dawn of the Dead. Oh, you, you did go to uh, the graveyard, too, from Not Living Dead, didn't you? Yes, I, I did that. That's right. Yeah. I did the uh, graveyard for Night of the Living Dead. Actually, no, I didn't do Day of the Dead. I'm sorry. I did Dawn of the Dead. I did the mall, and I did the opening sequence at the airport. Oh. And driving into the, just driving into the cemetery, 
was just, it was so, oh, it's just awesome. Because, you know, there's the sign. It, much better now than it was back in the 60s. <laughs> but you drive, you, I'm following the same path that uh, John and Barbara did. Wow. And you pull in and right there off to your left is the, uh, the house that you see in the background. And I pulled up and I finally found the gravestones. And as I was dry, as I was, I was there early in the morning and this guy came by on the lawnmower and he stopped and he says, looking for night of the living dead stuff. I says, really? I says, do a lot of us come through? He says, I get five of you a week. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully I'll be one of them soon. <laughs> oh, it's, if you need, I, I got the directions for you to find it easy, but it, it's, it looks exactly the same as the movie. Wow. You know, the airport is exactly the same as in the movie, plus the surrounding area. There's been a little construction, um, but it's easy. to. I mean, you drive and all of a sudden, like when you come into the area where the airport is, you recognize it. Wow. It hasn't changed from the movie. It's still got the, well, it's got where the gas pumps were. It's got the fence, the lighting. And the Monroeville Mall is still there. The inside has changed completely. But if you know where to look, you can see where the old scenery was, where the elevator was, that uh, the guy gets eaten in, where the skating rink was, where they were all fumbling around on the ice. Nice. Um, does anybody monitor that airport? Because I do need some chain link and it looked like they still have some. <laughs> no, I don't think they monitor it. <laughs> There's signs all over it saying no trespassing, but I was there like for an hour taking pictures and nobody came by. I don't know how many footage I can get out of that. <laughs> I, I'm sure that place is like so many others where people look out the window and go, oh, there's another geek. <laughs> <laughs> so you said that you used to travel. Did you used to travel quite a bit? Where's the most interesting place you've ever been? Was it the, was it the scenes? or? That's hard to say. I mean, I was the type when I was in the agency, if they were looking for somebody to do a TDY to Paris or to do a like absurd location, I always took the absurd location because I always figured, yeah, I can go to Paris anytime. When am I going to get to Tbilisi, Georgia? When am I going to get to Basra, Iraq? So that's true. I, I don't know. I loved, I loved, I lived in Korea. I lived in Seoul, South Korea for three years, three of the best years of my life. I love South Korea. Lived in Okinawa, Japan for three years, but I've spent time in Kuwait, Qatar. Um, I stayed, my unit stayed at Saddam Hussein's Imperial Palace in Basra for a while, which was, which was fun. But we only went there once and then he never went there again. Uh, then all over a a good friend of mine who was a uh, God rest his soul, Paul Simon, uh, he was stationed in Shenyang with the State Department and he was a history buff. So I went and visited him once and we did an entire tour of um, The Last Emperor. Wow. We, went to the, we went to the Forbidden City. We went to the, uh, the um, Manchukuo, uh, I think Shenzhen, where it was the capital city. We went to visit the prison where he was, where the last emperor was rehabilitated. We got whistled out by a bunch of Chinese prisoners. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just, I love traveling. My, next on my list of places to go is 
Transylvania, and I want to go to um, Chernobyl and Pripyat. Chernobyl? Um, I'd be a little yes. scared to go to Chernobyl. I guess I'd go now. <laughs> like they got, they got uh, right? No one they call Geiger counters and stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah. But I'd be scared about I'd be scared about the wild dogs. I I don't think they're a problem. Most you can only go to Chernobyl and uh, Pripyat on field trips. You uh, go in on scheduled buses, so I don't think it's a problem. I'm more worried about the mutants left over from the from the radiation. There's people that didn't leave. <laughs> and, you know, I got to see those type of people once. Um, Chicken Festival in I London. I was at my house. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy. Like, we were, like, 12, 13, getting high or whatever in this trailer. And then all of a sudden, outside, the whole, it was, like, 2 in the morning, but the whole, you could see nothing but orange. The whole sky lit up. You could see as far as if it was sunlight, but it was orange. And then we heard stuff start falling. And we thought the world was ended, you know. Um, so we ran outside, and on top of the mountaintop, right above the trailer, was a huge 100-foot flame just blowing. And I went up to my house, and my dad was down on the porch drinking a beer. And I said, we got to get the fuck out of here, you know. <laughs> like He's like, nah, we'll stay where nothing wrong. Plane crashed. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it looked like hell was coming. Like, it looked like rapture, you know, like the end times yeah. is, a, is a fucking gas well exploded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for one of my books, I had to research people being trapped in like the forest fires and uh, there was a documentary on netflix about the people that got surrounded and they, they survived like driving to an empty parking lot and just laying on the ground and let the flame the uh the brush fire just go around them wow God, that must be scary you know <sighs> couldn't do that my thing with brush fires is like how i remember you know you know they used to burn the hills right like yeah oh we out. we've done we've burned yeah. pastures before and like it looks like you could just jump across it <laughs> until the, all the air sucks out of your lungs. That's true. Maybe if you got a good run and go, <laughs> jump on the other side. <laughs> I remember when we did it one time, like we lived on this hill, and then all of a sudden, all these turtle shells started rolling down the hill, like where the fire had burned up all the oh, turtles. Gosh. It was awful. Oh. <laughs> I wish I still had something. I had one as ashtray for years. You know, dogs must have been freaked about about that chasing the shells. <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite crime story, two of them actually, was the woman that was accused of running over her, backing over her husband. He was having an affair. She caught him at the hotel, and she said that she was storming out of the area, backed over, ran him over, and killed him. And then somebody got the video camera footage and she was doing donuts on him in the pocket. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> like five, six. Seven. Oh, and we had a case up in Boston about 30 years ago. These two punks mugged a 70-odd-year-old woman. They were caught. They went to court. The woman was sitting in the, uh, the stand and the prosecutor said, are the men who mugged you here today? The two of them raised their hands. Oh, <laughs> that was us. That was us. <laughs> so are you from the boston area i was born and raised in a little town everett 
right north of Boston. I could see the skyline, the Boston skyline for most of the city. But you wasn't directly in Boston, so that's kind of a good thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, Boston don't mess around. No, no. no. I'm not. There was one boy that was from Boston that came to Clay County for like three weeks. And I guess people from Boston are badasses. Well, they think they are. Well, that's what he thought. <laughs> <laughs> and he had his ass whooped every day. And then he just disappeared. For like that was like the <laughs> real life version of that movie next to Ken. <laughs> Don't mess with them hillboys. <laughs> I've seen some brutal fucking fights around here. <laughs> I've seen a guy that's been in some brutal fights. Yeah, I, I don't do that anymore. I just shoot you. <laughs> <laughs> no, we have some weird people up here. I don't remember if you remember the Charles Stewart case, probably about 30, 40 years ago. There was a guy. It made the news because him and his wife, were shot in Boston. They claimed that a black guy came over, shot them, mm. killed her, wounded him in, in the stomach. Racial tensions hit the roof. For sure. And, and then what happened was they they arrested a couple of, of suspects, brought them in, brought in Charles Stewart to do the police lineup, and he fingered a guy like number three. Number three was an off-duty cop. <laughs> oh yeah so a very long story short it turned out that the murderer was his brother wow he he was seeing a woman on the side and wanted to get rid of his wife but didn't want to divorce her so the brother sh showed up shot the wife shot him in the stomach and of course the minute they stopped looking into this there's a paper trail and the best part of the story was his wife had strong influences in the waste management business in Boston. Wow. So, yeah, one day they found Charles Stewart's car on the Mystic River Bridge with a suicide note claiming that he did it. Nobody ever saw the car park. Nobody ever saw Charles Stewart. Nobody ever saw Charles Stewart jump off the bridge, but they found his body a couple of hundred feet down the river. And he's, he's buried in an unmarked grave in Everett. Wow. Yeah. It sounds like it was an accident. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the stupid thing was, if he had just said, nope, none of them fit the description, he might have gotten away with it. For sure he would have. That's horrible. That's but horrible. I, I just love the fact that, you know, certain oh. individuals in the community took care of everything. I always right. hate to hear a good plan go to waste over something stupid like that. <laughs> it's about like, you know, are the two men in the courtroom that mugged you and raise your hand. And, and who in the hell yeah. wants to take a gut shot? That's like the worst. <laughs> well, he shouldn't be in the stomach. <laughs> well, he wanted to make it look realistic. That's real. I'm surprised he didn't fucking die. <laughs> it might have been like, shoot me in the shoulder or something. Not yeah. <laughs> Shoot me in each shoulder and make it look real. <laughs> That's well. You being a history buff, uh, what's your favorite military movie? World War II military movie, saving for historical accuracy, saving private right. For sure. Right. I love that. So um, I'll tell you a little bit on that one. I went and watched that. That was like, 
I told my wife when it was coming out, we've got to go to the movie theater and watch that. That's, that's, yes. you know, that's not one you waiting on. And there were some World War II veterans in the audience. And just to see them coming out of there, just the looks on their face, some of them crying was so surreal. And to this day, I still have a recurring dream every now and then of the scene where I'm up in one of the pillboxes mowing guys down. And I, I hate that dream, but it just, that movie stuck it in my mind. But yeah, that is. Uh, I have a dream like that, but I like mine. It's weird. <laughs> the, <laughs> the scene that hooked me in was when the the ramp of the LCT dropped, and you could hear being in the theater. You could hear the the bullets, the whizzing by, the impacting on the bodies, the ricocheting on the metal. Yeah, and the it, and surround sound. Yes, oh. that just that dragged me into the movie. And then just for the rest of it, it was, uh, I was there at Normandy. And you know, it's funny. I always start seeing the movie. Well, they're really too high up. He and a couple of friends visited Omaha Beach in 2004. And we went to one of the German pillboxes. And yeah, it was elevated above everything. You could see the whole stretch of beach. They had notches. So, corresponding to places. So like if the LCT was coming in there, you just put the gun on that notch and open fire. It was wow. Yeah. They had them, they had, they had them, uh, zeroed the, in on where to shoot. The sound of a bullet whizzing by your ear is just terrifying. No matter how many times it happens. It's sounds weird. like a bumblebee. Yeah. That's <laughs> crazy. I almost got shot in the head right out here and walk in my house. Yeah, he's got he's got a bullet hole in his door frame. Yeah. Some some idiot across the hill shooting and one came all uh, the way across. I was opening the screen door and I heard zip hit right there. I was like, oh crap. Oh, my neighborhood's like that. I sit out there in the weekend and all of a sudden, like one neighbor's got an automatic weapon, he's shooting it off in his house, and other ones got a shotgun, he's shooting it off. My dogs don't even care anymore. They just sit there. Of course, the mailman drives by and the dogs go ballistic. <laughs> this is what's crazy about my dogs. If somebody else is shooting around here, they are scared to death. But I can walk out on the back porch and Spaz is taking a dump over here and shoot a shotgun off and don't even phase him. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, whatever. The funniest thing happens with my dogs. The doorbell sound of most generic doorbells Anytime it plays on a movie, oh, the dogs go batshit crazy. They think it's our doorbell. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mandy orders DoorDash so much, and DoorDash, when it comes, it's got to ring like a text. So anytime she gets a text, Phoenix starts barking and looking at the door. <laughs> and the funny thing is my dogs bark like maniacs but when i open the door the tails stop wagging they run out my my dog walter tries to get into the uh the mail truck he wants to go for rides <laughs> i had something funny happen this this summer actually um i live on a farm and it's it's, it's about it's like almost a quarter mile a little more off the road and the fedex guy came and I've got two German shepherds and I didn't hear him pulling up and I was letting them out to go use the bathroom and I can't see the driveway when I go out the front door and I see ears perk up and then take off. 
And as I get around the corner of my house, that FedEx guy is just flinging dog treats out the <laughs> trying to get back in his truck. I was like, sorry, man, I didn't hear you pull up. He's like, that's okay. I had a FedEx guy tell me he came one day. He's used to dogs getting in the trucks and that. But uh, one day he stopped and a cat got in the truck. And he was 50 miles away, almost back at home base, when he heard from the back of his truck. <laughs> so he had to stop, check the collar, drive all the way back to drop the cat off, go all the way back, like a hundred-mile trip just for the pet. That that kind of happened to me one time. Um, we had a kitten that got up in my vehicle. Me and my buddy went to fish. We drove about an hour away to fish. We fished from eight in the morning to about one or two in the afternoon. They fished. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, don't, I don't have this tattoo for no reason. Okay? But we got back to our local Walmart, which is where he parked. And we're sitting there on the, you know, reminiscing on the day, sitting on the, you know, leaning up against the hood. And I hear meow. That cat had rode all the way to that fishing ramp, stayed in there all day, and rode all the way back. And I was like, you are the luckiest little shit I've ever seen in my life. And did she eat the fish that was in the back? <laughs> she got funny. she got the guts. <laughs> so, Scott, before yeah. we start wrapping everything up, there's a few questions we like to ask everybody because this, <laughs> is, a, this, is, a few, this is a paranormal conspiracy true crime thing that we do. Have you ever had any kind of paranormal experiences? In all your travels or anything? I have not. I am, I believe, I'm a huge believer in the paranormal, the spirits. Um, me, never. Now, my wife is very attuned. We go places all the time, and she, ha she feels spirits talking to her or tugging at her. Wow. Um, we once went to Plotsensei, where, you, you know, that's where the... Um, some of the July 20th conspirators against Hitler were, were hanged from piano wires. There was a guillotine there. And we went, and the minute she walked into the execution room, she started choking, she got all upset, and she ran out. And I followed her, and I said, what's wrong? And she said the minute she walked in there, like 50 or 60 spirits converged on her. Wow. Trying to like, oh, listen to me, help me. Um, and we've been numerous places. Uh, in Salem, she sometimes gets that. So I believe it. I've seen it happen to my wife and my daughter, but I wish I never had any. A ghost could be standing behind me right now, you know, beat me with a frying pan. I wouldn't know. That's how I am. Like, I really want to have something happen. I think I've seen things before, but who knows like, <laughs> that's that's basically what we try to discover whenever we talk to people if they have had paranormal experiences like what do you think it is basically uh how do you feel about birds because this might play into your this <laughs> might play into your thing have you ever heard my theory about what birds are no all right so i believe that birds and this will play into where you come from the cia because Valent Thor used to work closely with you all. <laughs> Brace yourself for this one. So Valent Thor was from Venus, right? 
my whole thing about it is i don't think it's a flat earth i don't think it's a round earth i think we live like a simulation and when matrix yeah when it comes to a simulation you have to have a server that runs the simulation well valent thor was from venus so i believe that venus is the server that runs the simulation we live in and you know servers and computer programs they always have glitches and there's only one type of animal that can be anywhere it wants to be and that's a bird so i firmly believe that these birds go around and monitor the matrix that we live in and when there's a glitches glitch they report it back to the matrix yeah you heard that you heard that yeah. i heard that yeah see i have a i have this you know give and take with birds one shits on my car, I go to McDonald's and I eat chicken wings on the front porch. To show <laughs> I like chicken wings. <laughs> we actually, I, I love it all animals, but we used to have a pack of 30 plus turkeys that roamed the neighborhood. And they were frightening. They would stop traffic in the middle of the street. Like one would stand in each lane, staring down the cars and the others would walk across you know, they chased one of my dogs once. That's, that's funny that you said that because I watched a news report yesterday and they're talking about turkey prices and everything. Yeah. <laughs> and the reporter, every time she tried to say, she was standing in just a huge flock. Yeah. Every time she tried to say something, they would all go. <laughs> <laughs> it was the funniest interview I've ever seen. But loving uh, animals, though, I love all animals too. If you season anything enough, it's going to taste oh, good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hate spiders. That's the one animal I can't love. Oh, see, I love spiders. They eat all the other stuff. <laughs> of course, my wife is terrified of them. So every once in a while, I hear the scream, you know, and I go upstairs thinking, okay, it's either Jason, she's being abducted by aliens, or there's the spider the size of a button in the room. And it's usually the spider. I will unload a clip on a spider in the house. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> my, we were, when I was visiting my wife when she lived in Florida, we were at her, her mother's house, and there was one of those wolf spiders, about that big, with all the little babies in the back. And my mother-in-law does it. She's not afraid of anything. And she took a stick and poked the wolf spider. <laughs> and like 300 babies ran in all directions. My wife knocked me, the dog, and her daughter into the bushes to get into my house. Yeah, I, I would not be able to stand that. I would burn the house down. Uh, well, I, one of my jobs, I was an exterminator for a year. I That stuff doesn't bother me. Yeah. I can, I, that's the only thing I can't handle. I mean, I can... Oh, man. <sighs> that's crazy. I, I, spiders don't bother me. The only thing that bothers me is like little small objects in the dark that i can't tell what they are oh. they move <laughs> like something about this big i've threatened to uh <laughs> he doesn't like gnomes i hate garden gnomes <laughs> yeah. and one of these days i'm gonna buy as many garden gnomes as i can and i'm gonna set them up in his front yard military style formation oh. <laughs> and him wake up in the morning and i'm one of these days, buddy. I hate them. I hate them. <laughs> but my, my wife has one sitting in our living room. So, Scott, right. man of many talents, what all yeah. do you have going on and where can everybody find you? Best place to find me on social media is Scott Baker's Demon Hunter group on Facebook. 
when I'm not in Facebook jail, like I am now, <laughs> that's where I post uh, upcoming events, book promotions, deals, new releases. Um, I have several books out right now. The Nurse Alyssa versus the Zombie series, seven written. Book eight is on the way. Uh, the new zombie series, Chronicles of Paul, first book just came out two weeks ago. And my paranormal romance, uh, The Ghosts of Eden Hollow and The Ghosts of Salem Village. Uh, all my books are available on Amazon. Uh, just look for my writer's page, Scott M. Baker, and you can get all the books there. I will be doing the, the uh, New England Comic Con and Collectibles Extravaganza, Foxborough, Massachusetts, on November 25th, 20, no, sorry, November 27th, 28th, and 29th. And that's all I have coming. Oh, and on December 10th, I released the new book, Operation Majestic, which is, as I said earlier, Raiders of the Lost Ark meets Back to the Future with, with Aliens. And just keep on going to my page. I'll be promoting that book more and more over the next few weeks. I but that's it for the rest of the year. I just joined right then. Okay, good. And you still do Watching Weird too, don't you? I still do Watching Weird every week. I drive Hadley insane with the groups <laughs> I pick. <laughs> she still talks about Tokyo Gore police. <laughs> I wish you would have been. I don't think you you wasn't there when we when me and Tully was on, was you? With the, no, no. Uh, every time I see him now, <laughs> I hate that fucking movie, man. <laughs> That's why he's getting well, for Christmas. So. I told her. I told her that I was nice to her for my Thanksgiving turkey movie. I picked Poultry Guys by Troma. <laughs> I told me about that one the other day. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, you, you set up like a Kentucky Fried Chicken over the Indian Burial Ground. What could happen? But the movie I really wanted to pick was Thanks Killing. I've watched both of them. Yeah. <laughs> I think it, I think it Hadley, Hadley Allen and Rich would never talk to me again if I made them watch that one. <laughs> that's awesome. And that's every Thursday night at 9 o'clock. Every Thursday at 9, yes. Yeah. And you know where you can find us on bitshoot.com, uh, anchor.fm, Twitter, uh, YouTube, but YouTube's usually, I don't know, six, seven episodes behind because fuck YouTube. <laughs> 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 Always doing shit to us. And all that is at wearing the folk. If you want to be a guest, message us at Twitter and you can. Email us at bipolar underscore teddy bear at outlook.com. And I'll probably reach out to you. We have an Instagram. Do we? We do. I didn't know that. I didn't know that till Thanks for day. keeping me in the loop. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> the last post on it was uh, six months ago. <laughs> but that's going to be coming soon. Don't feel bad. Don't feel bad. I post once a month if I'm lucky. And um, I'm still working diligently on a on a TikTok version of this called Quickie Crippies. I'm still reading the books, and writing the writing the stories, and everything. So be on the lookout for that on the TikTok universe, which is what the youngins use nowadays. And Quickie 
Crippies. That sounds like it should be on Pornhub. Quickie Crypties. It's about cryptids. <laughs> <laughs> and I do have one on Pornhub called Quickie Crippies. <laughs> <laughs> They're about 10 seconds long. <laughs> so go give them a watch. Now we know why they call you Bigfoot. <laughs> So, thank you for watching us because we're watching you.